Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I have a conversation about drugs. It's a subject very relevant to us as practicing physical therapists and a topic littered with misperceptions and misinformation. So we want to clear the air about what a drug is, the benefits and dangers of certain drugs like pain meds and anti-inflammatories. We also cover recreational drugs, including alcohol, caffeine, tobacco, and we finished by talking about a drug that actually inspired this podcast topic, and on this very day, October 17th, becomes federally legal across our beautiful country of Canada, which is cannabis. This episode is sponsored by TFC Toe Spreaders. They're a simple, inexpensive foot health accessory that you can use to restore natural toe alignment. The truth is that most modern shoes are too narrow for human feet, and they compress our forefoot. Long-term effects of that compression can give rise to issues like bunions, collapsed arches, Morton's neuroma, generalized foot pain, and problems with your balance. Toe spreaders are little pieces of silicone you wear around the house, um, and they go between each of your toes, and they help restore that space between your toes to help improve your feet. We sell them at tfc-shop.com for 15 bucks Canadian per pair, and we ship them globally. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear for our seminars and workshops. And you can check out their cases at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this interesting episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Mike and Nick here for another episode of Shop Talk. Today we have a pretty interesting topic to talk about, and the topic today is going to be about drugs. Um, it's a fun one that you know we find a lot of people are misinformed about drugs, and it's one that's really relevant um, to both our uh, physical therapy practice, because we see people on a regular basis that don't really understand why they're taking certain drugs. Um, it's also very relevant because uh, today, October 17th, is an extremely... Um, big landmark day in Canadian history and we'll talk about that uh, why that is at the end and kind of what that means so I think let's start with talking about what a drug is that's probably a good um, a good starting point you know like I looked online the definition of drug was any substance that causes temporary physiological or psychological changes in the body and that's a pretty damn broad definition so there's really not a whole lot of structure to that in terms of what's included or excluded as a drug and I would take it even a step further, in this drugs and behavior book, it it just basically laid out the definition as any substance that alters the physiology of the body and not even necessarily like the psychology of the body. So there, there's still, like you say, very it's, it's very open-ended when we're mm-hmm. talking about what a drug is because you could you could expand it to many, many things. And in this book, they were saying, well, would vitamin C be considered a drug mm-hmm. or um, is food now considered a drug? Because food can definitely change, alter your physiology quite a bit, definitely. Uh, depending on what foods you you have. So what is the definition of a drug? Um, is it the reason behind why you're using it? Because that, that was one of the other things they were they were discussing. So and I think people are very misinformed. Like people don't people don't understand what a drug is and what a drug isn't, right? Because when you tell someone, you know, the classic one is when someone says uh, you offer them some alcohol or something like that, and they're like, oh, no, I don't I don't drink or I don't do any drugs. It's like, well, do you drink coffee every morning? Yes. You do drugs every day. Yeah. Caffeine is a drug. You know, I think people look at the word drug, and the first thing they think of is illicit drug, right? Okay, if it's a drug, it's illegal, Um they don't think that drug that was prescribed by their doctor or that Advil they take when they get a bit of a headache uh, is a drug. And it's this, it's this very strange, strange thing where people just don't understand what a drug is. Well, I also think it's just there's a there's a very negative 
association with the word drug mm-hmm. and people have been conditioned and programmed to associate drug with negative mm-hmm. well it, it is also funny because you talk about the, the drug store is, is a place where we can legally sell drugs but but then this whole war on drugs has created the opposite end so people often still think of like when you talk to somebody about uh drugs they mm-hmm. they think of that well i think of, of that drug, end of the spectrum i think they think of illegal drugs one and they think of drug abuse but they don't actually think of like good drugs drugs that are beneficial and you know or I'm, what a drug is, what a drug is yeah because if you really break down what a drug is it's just it's something again going back to that definition it's altering your physiology in some way now i, I do like um another definition i got was of a psychoactive drug where that's a chemical substance that alters brain function resulting in temporary changes in perception mood consciousness or behavior so hmm. you could say that um I don't know. I, don't, I, th- I think I agree with that definition a little bit more. Me too. Um, and I think maybe we, more should, specific. maybe we should talk about it in terms of that uh, for the remainder of the podcast. So, so mm-hmm. something that's a bit more like psychoactive. It's changing your your perception of reality in some way. or cha- It is changing your physiology because when we talk about, when we get into more of the, the NSAIDs um, and things like that, we are dealing with things like inflammation that it's changing. We're also dealing with things that like pain. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with a substance that's altering some sort of process in your body in some desired way Mm -hmm. Um, because ultimately you're using it for you should be using you're using it for a purpose and sometimes that purpose is is negative Mm -hmm. maybe it's to feed an itch in terms of like drug addiction and stuff like that but you're using it for the purpose of getting something from the drug yeah you're you're feeding in you're consuming something because there's an inherent reward cycle yeah that might be i hurt when i take this i don't hurt or um, you know, my current reality is extremely hard to live with. So I take this drug in order to get out of that reality and have a break from it. You know, whatever it is, there's something reinforcing that behavior. At least you would think, right? I think some people take drugs just because they're told by someone with DR in front of their name to take a drug. And yeah. sometimes they don't even know why they're taking the drug in the first place. And it's very confusing because, then, you know, if you're putting something in your body, know, at least mm-hmm. understand what the mechanism is and why you're taking it, right? These stats yeah. that we talked about on the last podcast are a prime example. People are taking these when there's actually no research to show that True. you should be taking them. So I guess you'd hope that there's a it's serving a purpose. Now, some people don't know. That's an interesting point is that some people don't know the purpose of why they're taking the drug, but mm-hmm. other people are pushing that purpose on them. So they're, they're saying, their doctor might be saying, or, or their friends or family members saying, take this drug for this reason. Mm-hmm. But... But I, ultimately, there's there's a reason why you're taking some substance to change something or affect something um, in some way. That's that's ultimately, hopefully, serving you a purpose, but oftentimes it isn't too. But I think that we also are a society that's... We love drugs. Into the, yeah. We love freaking drugs. And like, We've always loved drugs. What's the first thing you do when you have a headache? You instantly pop a pill in your mouth. It's like we're way too gung-ho to... Try and look for the easy solution to a problem that is usually not as simplistic as just, oh, take a pill and all is good. It just, it's a very, but I think kind of a silly way to dealing with a lot of stuff. Drugs go back really, really far though, right? It's, it's like we think of drugs in modern terms and that was some, some of the interesting doing the research on this showing so how, like how much we are connected in, in terms of human history, Mm -hmm. um, 
with drugs, it goes back thousands and thousands of years. And that's just what we can actually, like history is slippery because you, who knows what that's the hell. That's just what's recorded. Yeah, but but there's reports. And once we get into the different classes of drugs, we can talk about, um, you know, who, where it was, a, where it came about, the different mm-hmm. substances, uh, traditional methods of use and stuff like that. But it's just, we've been consuming drugs as a, as a human species for, for so, so long. And, and it's just part of what we do. And, and going further than that, um, many different animals in the animal kingdom also have been shown to, to use drugs. drugs. Yeah. So they've shown that one of the ones is dolphins. Dolphins will actually um, basically hang out in a circle and pass around this puffer fish. And they'll take, <laughs> they'll so take cool. hits off this puffer fish. And, and they've basically analyzed what they're getting from this puffer fish. And it's a psychoactive compound in, in the puffer fish that they're getting. Hmm. So they're literally in a circle consuming recreational drugs. It's as like they're a, passing around a joint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and they've also shown... Um, well, leopards. Leopards consume these psychoactive... Uh, I don't know if it's like a, a DMT-based um, plant, but they consume a plant that gets them to trip out. They go and sit in a tree, and like you can tell they're tripping out. They act strange, and so clearly there's a reinforcement cycle there. Like they're consuming yeah. it for a reason. They either learned it from another animal, or they've done it in the past. They like the feeling or what they got from it, so they're consuming it again. And that's the same. Exactly. It's all reward cycle. Same thing with humans and alcohol. Like once we get into that too, but same thing with alcohol. Other animals have been known to. It's just fermenting fermenting fruit that they've been known to consume for the proper properties that you get from it but then it also like when we study animals and we give them uh when we give them drugs in a, in a kind of a controlled setting we also know that animals love drugs too yeah. My, like rats love drugs monkeys love drugs like it's not just us like for sure so, and it's like these primitive um neurological loops of reward cycles right like you get a dopamine bump you want to do that whatever gave you that dopamine bump you want to do it again mm-hmm. um i think there's a reason why everyone's eyes are glued to their phones is looking at something not some sort of novel stimuli which now we have a limitless access to through things like instagram gives you a dopamine bump people don't even realize that okay maybe you're not consuming an actual drug but this connection you have to social media is giving you the same response as a bump of cocaine would in terms of the dopamine response cycle in your brain that's an interesting point because then you could say, well, is is social, social media, media or is technology, uh, like let's say television, YouTube, is that it's feeding something and it's giving your, it's altering your neuro- neurochemicals in the brain mm-hmm. and it's giving you something. So, and it's, it is altering your physiology because that is back to that initial definition. So is that a drug? So that, yeah, it's, like, it's a little bit slippery. So I think let's, we, let's talk about like inject, like stuff you in, ingest or yeah. take in in some form. Yeah. We'll um, keep it that, that for now. But I think that that's an interesting point. Be, and it, it's worth noting because I think when we defined some of these effects of drugs, other things like technology have parallels to it. And we can draw this similar conclusions from it and saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, the same way you would treat these drugs that you would ingest, you might want to treat other things in your life that are that are getting hold of you like that. Very good point. for the purpose of of you know making you feel a certain way, altering your physiology. So there's mm-hmm. many other things that we can talk about and, and draw these conclusions about. And back to this whole perception, when you say the word drugs, um, like when people ask me what what are your parents do, I, I tell them my mom's a drug dealer. And she, you know, she distributes <laughs> drugs. She's a pharmacist. Okay, she doesn't deal illicit drugs. But, but even just saying drug dealer, like the the notion of that word has been connected to an illegal occupation so tightly that people are shocked when I tell them that. It's like, well, no, my yeah. mom works in a pharmacy and she gives people drug prescription drugs that who have prescriptions. Um, but people's initial perception is so tied to to that word drug. It's just such a sticky word for a lot of people. And if we look at 
that's that's exactly it. So we I don't think we should play. We got to go get away from playing the 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 drug like the team game and like mm-hmm. this drug's good, this drug's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we also we got to look at it more objectively because if you if you look at like well, all drugs are neutral until you tie some sort exactly. of meaning or some sort of use to it, right? Like anything can be good or bad depending on when you're using it and what it's doing to your body. What and, it, exactly? You know, so so it can be. But it, I mean, in the end, it's it's altering these chemical processes in your in your body in some way so oftentimes it's playing around with neurotransmitter release um reuptake there's different chemical process back to like cell biology and biochemistry so if you go down to this biochemical level it's like why are we playing this like this drug is not good for you and this drug is when they're literally just playing around with either the same neurotransmitters or different variations of different neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. but then we're like we're ma- we're we're making up this thing where some are good or some are bad. Well, I think um, part of that is people attach meaning to whether a drug is good or bad based on whether it's legal or illegal. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into stuff later on to show that there really isn't a good reflection. If something is illegal, it does not mean it's bad. If something is legal, it does not mean it's good to consume. And so, and I would say like safety is deeply tied into that too. And it for for ways that it really shouldn't be so people think that because a drug is legal it must be safe uh, safe and yeah. then it, because it's illegal it's it's it, it's unsafe that's the bad most, for you the most yeah. dangerous drugs on this planet are the legal ones and we'll yeah. talk about that later on and we'll back it up with some like kind of numbers and some data but i think today okay so let's go through a flow we're going to cover a couple different drug categories the first one we're going to cover is we're going to talk about anti-inflammatories and like NSAIDs next one we're going to go through prescription pain meds and just using drugs to treat pain in general uh, then we're going to talk about three recreational drugs, and they're probably not the ones that you would think. We're going to talk about alcohol, we're going to talk about caffeine, and we're going to talk about tobacco. And then we're going to finish um, with a very special recreational drug, which has just been legalized in Canada this very day. Um, and we'll finish off with talking about cannabis and just taking a, you know, taking a step back and having an objective conversation about what is cannabis, what can it be used for, why was it demonized, and what does it mean for it to be legal in Canada? Because I really think that's going to change a lot in this country um and just talk about how you know i think bringing to light how silly it is that a plant that you can grow yourself that doesn't that can't hurt you has been illegal for so long shows some light on how silly drug policy is and and how people need to reframe if it's legal it doesn't necessarily mean it's safe to consume or it's good um so let's talk about anti-inflammatories because that's a big one we see it every day in our physical therapy practice um you know people come in They've got um, knee pain or hip pain or neck pain. And the first thing they do is shove some Advil in their mouth and think that that's going to solve the problem. So this is a prime example of one of those categories of, of, a, of a legal drug and something that's used in, in modern medicine and something that people think that is, is harmless, right? Yeah. Um, Advil's become this thing that it's just like, it, it's, it's almost like a joke. It's like, ibuprofen, right? Advil's ibuprofen. the brand name. We all think of Advil, but yeah, yeah it really anti-inflammatories, is. Um, any other forms of NSAIDs, which are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, uh, basically these are used like, like candy in, in medical practices and, and it's again once you dive a little deeper you realize that these things have profound implications in terms of your health mm-hmm. um especially with long-term use or abuse of them and i was actually looking into uh one study and it, it looked at uh 3, chronic pain patients and basically what it what it was looking at is just how much they're they're actually abused in terms of the um the amount they're taken and how for how long consecutive days they're taken um it, it said 97% of the people in the study were taking um 
NSAIDs for longer than 21 days straight. Um, and many of them way more than many of them just, just lived on Advil. Wow. So, um, and it was just, it was just something that this, this author was looking at and he's like, well, the risks start to skyrocket once you chronically feed yourself these NSAIDs on a, on a daily basis. And for these people, it's just like, that's just very, very normal. I'm going to take Advil in the AM, midday and the PM. And that's just, you know, week after week, month wow. after month often. And they, he was looking at an instance of gastrointestinal bleeding, gastrointestinal side effects, yeah, cardiovascular risk. Uh, exactly. Renal effects as well. There was many other effects that um, risk of stroke. There's other things that he, this study brought up, but the big ones are these gastrointestinal effects that, uh, that he was looking at. So somebody trying to deal with their pain using this this advil that they think is something that is like they think it's let's solution. just take it yeah that's the solution meanwhile they're, they're creating these these gastrointestinal issues from chronic um, misuse of this drug because that's an example of abusing um abusing NSAIDs or abusing advil in this case abusing a drug uh, like that's, abusing a drug that's, that's drug that's abuse, abuse but right people there. don't think of you know if you you know, we'll get to this later, but if you drink six coffees a day, you're abusing a drug. If you take Advil every day for a month just to be pain-free, you're abusing a drug. And you're abusing the drug. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest problem with the anti-inflammatories is it feeds into the demonization of inflammation or pain. And it's this thing where, okay, what is inflammation? Inflammation is your body's effort to mobilize resources, rather that be, you know, certain blood cells or whatever it is send resources to an area of the body that's currently getting damaged or is injured in order to heal it. So inflammation is your body's way of healing. If you take an anti-inflammatory, you're taking an anti-healing medication. Now, obviously, we have to separate systemic inflammation versus acute inflammation. But I still think that taking something to anti-heal yourself gets away from the fact, number one, it, it if you think that's the solution, you're never actually going to look into the root cause of why that inflammation is there. And number two, you're literally inhibiting your ability to heal from an injury by taking something that's anti-healing. Like it's so it's so messed up that this is used so commonly, yet it's such a poor way of treating any kind of dysfunction for the most part. And we like we see it commonly from the musculoskeletal standpoint. So people and that's but a lot of the studies are pointing to that's like a, a lot of its use is is like take Advil or take an a uh, an NSAID to deal with uh, like musculoskeletal pain. So yeah, a lot like of it was pain. like pain, knee pain, back pain, arthritic pain. Um, this is like one of the most common use of these of these drugs. Um, and then th like some of the prevalences of these drugs are, are incredible. This one NCBI review, it showed that those 65 years of, of age or older um, had as high as 96% use in the general, in a general practice setting. So basically um, people 65 years or older, um, doctors, like 96% of them would prescribe to them some form of Advil or recommend it every, wow. uh, as something, as a, as a, as a solution to whatever it may be. But oftentimes, again, it's this musculoskeletal pain um, that, and that's just the ironic part is that now you're you're using this thing that really is ultimately not really doing what you want it to even do in the it's first place. It's not doing anything. It's not yeah. doing anything. Like if you, okay, I'm, I'm in pain. I want to get rid of this pain. The last thing you want to do is something that inhibits you from healing properly and doesn't, doesn't, and allows you to basically sidestep finding out why you actually have pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have back pain. I've had back pain for six months. Great. Not great, but, um, but maybe find out why you have back pain, right? Are your hips tight and it's causing a lot of compression on your low back because you sit all day? Maybe we should talk, have a conversation about 
that instead of just giving you pills to put in your mouth that are damaging your stomach lining when you take them long term and allowing you to not even look into why you're having back pain right exactly. like why is that so i think that starts with doctors like i think physicians need to be better educated on this is not a good way to manage msk pain this is a this is in fact this is a terrible way of doing yeah. it so why is it so prevalent um headaches things like that too like these these mundane things that people get on a like for me it was it was super weird from from my own experiences i used to take an advil i used to get like i used to get headaches a lot and i would take an advil but then i realized that like i don't like i wasn't really getting much out of the ad like it didn't really help with the the head there's a little bit of acetaminophen in advil so it does there is an element of um painkiller right Mm -hmm. there's some there's almost like tylenol in advil so it can take the edge off a little bit by by giving you this um anti-pain kind of element to it but you know i did the same thing i used to get headaches and i used to take an advil and i thought okay it's decreasing the inflammation there's no inflammation there it's it's your brain telling you that something's wrong and you got a shit ton of tightness underneath the base of your skull or or somewhere in the you know in your upper upper back area that's causing you the signal to get a headache to say something's wrong you're not sleeping you're not you know your body is redlined right now or you have a shit ton of tightness in your upper body because you're not breathing well exactly like that's exactly it so i found from my own experience, the the pill would do really nothing, minimal to nothing. And but I kept taking it because that's that's not what I was placebo too. You take exactly. a pill and you think it helps, you're probably going to feel better. But but even for me, like it didn't for me, it didn't help. But the weird thing about it psychologically is that I would just like that's what I would that's what I would do because that's almost like what we're told to do or mm-hmm. what, what's expected of us. It's like, oh, here, or people will even push it on you. You'd be like, oh, you have a headache here. I got some Advil in my pocket or, yeah. or whatever. Like we're, we're picking <laughs> on elbow it. In my pocket. Whatever it might be. They're like, uh, here, take this. And, and it's just something that like I did it after I did it over and over. It's like, well, if I don't take it, I don't feel any different. But then, then it just made me cue into these other factors that, okay, I get a headache and you start to link, link these things together. I get a headache when uh, I'm overstressed, underslept, um, when I'm overdosed on caffeine, essentially, these are some big things. Yeah. Like you say, when, when I'm just really tight through my neck area for, and again, reasons for that can be various too. So I found that like, oftentimes it's kind of a trick, but getting into my, some of my neck tissues with a lacrosse ball, like mm-hmm. that can zap my headache away very, oh, very quickly. Too. And again, you want to address why those tissues are getting tight, but that works way better than Advil yeah. quick, quickly, just so it's one of those things that people are just living on the, off this stuff and then they're not really, first of all, is the drug even doing what you want? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the answer is no. And oftentimes the, the drug's actually doing the opposite of what, of what we want in yeah. terms of like letting MSK injuries heal, right? And then the second of all, what are the side effects of the drugs in terms of long-term use? And are we, are we abusing this drug or are we using it with a purpose? Yeah. So, and that probably leads into kind of the next category of drugs, which is um, pain meds, you know, the opioids, the, you know, anything from Tylenol all the way down the continuum, continuum all the way down to something like Oxycontin, which is basically, um, heroin that gets given to people to control their symptoms and is one of the most addictive drugs out there. The, you know, this is a prime example something that's legal, something that's prescribed by your doctor. You can go into a pharmacy and legally get it. If you have a prescription, people, underestimate how dangerous these drugs actually are in terms of both harm to your body and um the level at which they can they can breed dependence right like if you're um physiologically if you have a ton of pain and heroin gets you out of pain temporarily without having to do anything to actually work on getting rid of that pain then that becomes an extremely addictive substance just to be comfortable and have a good day-to-day life um and i think that's 
you know, so, and the opioids you just mentioned it right there. The the opioids are a classic example of of legal versus illegal, and and how we view things so differently. Um, and it just it's to the point where it's almost like silly. Um, so if you get a um, Tylenol with codeine, like a T3 with codeine, mm-hmm. um, or you start taking Percocets, any of the opioid derivatives, uh, once we get into like oxycontin, oxycodone, hydromorphone, all these hospital derived opiates it's just something that is almost like that's okay but then but then when we take it outside of that it, it's not okay so so heroin is the exact same derivative as as these legal substances but mm-hmm. but heroin is one of those like nasty drugs that we we perceive as like very very nasty in society and wreaking havoc on site and i would argue that def it is because it's very it's not a good drug it's not a good drug but if we once we see that these drugs are the exact same thing as that then we say okay well how come this thing that we perceive as so nasty over here is not nasty over here and, and it is actually something that's again very mainstream oh i had a surgery I, i've been taking this for for a couple of weeks um you know i'm taking my you know, my T3s for my back pain. I'm taking like, this is like, okay, cool. It's, oh, a it's, pharmaceutical it's, company makes it. So that's okay. Exactly. But it's the exact same chemical compound as heroin. Exactly. It's just the two, it gets muddled. Oxycontin versus heroin. One is this dirty thing with a bad perception. One is, oh, that's what you take when you're in pain. And it's so messed up that, that the misinformation out there causes people to, to think with that kind of duality between the two. When really, when you're informed about drugs, it's the same thing. And look how we treat heroin addicts and things like that we almost treat them as like scum of society and we almost like look down upon them um when in the end like oftentimes they're they're searching for a solution they've they've unfortunately stumbled upon this substance that's wreaking havoc on them but it is it is giving them this 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 temporarily fix temporary fix for something and oftentimes it's actually the transition which we're seeing now very very common to see somebody on pharmaceutical opiates whose prescription is done and then they go looking elsewhere so then they get their their pharmaceutical drugs from an illegal source or Mm -hmm. they go the road of of actually illicit opioids um and heroin and that's like it's so common i i I didn't actually get the stats on that but i saw them at one point Um, prescription thugs is a really good documentary that talks about the world of prescription drugs and um you know you brought up a good point like i don't want to sidestep too much into the world of addiction but Addiction is the addict's attempt to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you had surgery and you were given pain pills and you weren't given, the medical system let you down in terms of helping you actually address why the pain was there. So all you have is this crutch of medication that you're using because there's no, no one's shown you or helped you to understand how to, how to interpret pain, right? Pain as a signal, how to um, improve your movement and get moving instead of sitting on a couch all day. So if you're addicted to um, you know, prescription pain medications, that is not your fault. That is the fault of the medical system that didn't give you a better alternative on how to heal and understand the optimal use of that drug. And I think it, it is really one of those things where we need to understand addiction because punishing people, you know, punishing a heroin addict, you're punishing someone that's already in so much pain that they have to take a dissociative drug to get out of the reality, whether that was abuse as a child or being homeless or having some yeah. huge life event that could just crush them. Why do you punish the people that are in the most pain even more for consuming a drug? It Physical pain, emotional pain, psychological pain. Yeah. So, and, and what we see is this this trend is continuing with the legal opioids. They're just running rampant and they continue to. A um, couple stats, the CDC from CDC data, um, the opioid deaths 
were five times higher in 2016 compared to 1999. So they're just keeping track of them over the years, and they're found that they're on the steady incline. Um, in 2017, there were 58 opioid prescriptions written for every 100 Americans. So that wow. So a lot of the stats are going to be U.S. based, but those are shocking. Yeah. So so, so what we see is this: the, the prescription. It shows that the the doctors are handing out prescription of opioids like candy. So so that's it's something that we should be looked at. Like very- <laughs> Florida's the the OxyContin Express was one of the most eye opening doc. Florida's crazy. Oh yeah. Florida is straight. And you know what's hilarious? The state with the biggest prescription drug problem is the state that is the hardest on punishing people for consuming a plant like cannabis. No, exactly. It's so crooked. It's, it just doesn't make sense that people accept that as like. That's okay. It's so messed up. But it's and it's it's upsetting when people just uh, just kind of like sideswipe that or just like don't look at that. And they're like, oh yeah, well that's that's the way it is and or whatever. So it's like, no, we got to look at like the whole point of this podcast is looking at drugs objectively. Yeah, and and we got to like we got to start looking at this because the the these opioid deaths from like just the same way we look at heroin addicts, like this is happening with people who are, um, you know high-functioning people in society mm-hmm. and they've gone down to cover up maybe we'll get into pain in a second but for for some reason they have been given an opioid drug and maybe like again it, they're not necessarily a hundred percent bad yeah you can use opioids just like you can use any other drug well, for like a crutch you break your leg yeah use the crutch but for you a reason taught how to get rid of that crutch eventually and if you're not that crutch becomes really easy to lean on harder and harder and harder to the point where you don't even use your fucking leg and, and it's a problem. Yeah. It's it's the education piece that's missing. I think um, more so than you know, like you said, the drug isn't isn't an inherently evil, but how you use it it's determines whether it's a good it. thing or a bad thing. Yeah, if you're if you're using it for a purpose um, and you're getting what you want out of it without harming your body in ways that you don't want, then I would argue that it's that's okay too. Um, I got a, yeah. I got a couple of interesting stats here. So number one. This is a U.S. stat, but every 19 minutes, someone dies from a prescription drug. That is pretty insane. Like, you you have this forever revolving door of every 19 minutes, someone dies, dies from a drug that <laughs> so is considered crazy. legal. Um, another one that I was shocked at is for every dollar that drug companies spend on R&D. So, R&D is essentially, okay, there is a problem. We're going to try and develop a drug to solve that problem. For every $1 they spend on R&D and developing a drug, they spend $19 on marketing and promotion. That is insane. If you actually digest and think about that, $1 to develop a drug, $19 to promote and market a drug. And even the fact that... And who are they marketing to? Yeah. So that was another thing that was crazy. So prescription drug advertising to consumers used to be illegal. It used Mm -hmm. to not be allowed. Like people, scientists and people with a logical mindset were like, you're not supposed to advertise drugs to consumers because consumers aren't the ones that know when they should be taking these drugs, mm-hmm. right? It's physicians. You go to your doctor because you assume that they're well-informed, they understand the layout of the drugs that are out there and the costs and benefit of these drugs, and they tell you what's appropriate. The amount of ads that you see, like, for example, if you watch an American channel, I would always see this, like, um, a certain big events like the Super Bowl or Olympics or whatever. If you're watching a U.S. channel, you would always see these ads for people that look all happy. And it's like Enbrel or some antidepressant says, ask your doctor if this drug is right for you. Why the hell are you asking your doctor about a drug? If you need that drug, your doctor should be telling you that you need that drug. It's That's so, so wacky. Because it's all, I found that the wacky as well. Like, it, you don't even know. It doesn't even tell you in the, in the ad what, what the drug is for. 
or you're, you're like it's mysterious it's like oh what is that i don't even know like i leave the commercial and it's like it's a mystery yeah so then it like makes you either look it up further yeah. uh, on your own research it on your own and say oh this could help me or go to your doctor and ask so you're going and like searching out drugs now that you because you saw them on an ad because actors looked all happy if you're depressed and you see a group of people that are happy and skipping along you're probably like the viagra ads kill, <laughs> yeah. kill me they're so funny and like if you see that you're like oh those people look so happy i'm depressed i i like i have a terrible quality of life right now i want to be happy i'm gonna ask my doctor about that drug and it's like it's so strange and that was that's very recent like this whole thing of being allowed to advertise uh, prescription drugs to consumers is, is extremely recent i think it was clinton or something like that that let that happen and there's only one cause for that happening it's lobbying it's massive money from pharmaceutical companies spending some of that $19 to pay lobbyists to go to Washington or whoever's making political decisions and say, we need to allow us, we need to be allowed to advertise to consumers. And here's a million dollars. Then the other side of that is advertising to you or or marketing to doctors but but it's it's beyond that it's like it's so deeply ingrained in, in the medical system that mm-hmm. that it's literally like within the the programs that are being taught it's like it, it's very very deep and somehow they they just got like they weaseled intertwined in and weaseled in yeah. um, to the point where that's like literally how medicine is taught in a lot of instances um this drug-based model and well, again you learn you learn more about drug interactions than you do about sleep and diet in medical school how yeah. weird is that those are the two big one of the two of the biggest pillars in terms of health and things that physicians should know like your physicians should be prescribing you eight hours of sleep per night why because it's free and it's one of the most effective low-hanging fruit at improving your health yet most of the conversation you know if people go to a doctor's appointment now and they don't leave having a drug prescription they feel that that's like not an effective interaction and that's crazy that the the perception shift is so hardcore to a drug-centric health system that or it's a drug to address sleep it's like well, i can't yeah, sleep there you go <laughs> it's like oh here's a drug to address that but then again it's like but well, it sedates you it doesn't actually give you sleep exactly we got to look at reasons why you're not yeah. getting sleep and these are often very obvious like it's so crazy but again it's this drug based like throw a drug at it whatever problem you have throw a drug at it um and it's just something that it's so it's literally back to like we've made that comparison of the engine light it's like put tape over the engine light anytime the engine light comes on or the service light comes on put this piece of tape over it, put that piece of tape over it. Yeah. Um, and that's what it's doing in your body. And then it's like, oh, these drugs are all starting to interact with each other too. Or, oh, they're starting to create other consequences. Oh, we, but guess what? We have other drugs to cover that up too. Yeah. So it's this like endless <laughs> race. It's like, you know, this side effect isn't good. So, but luckily we made, we happen to make this drug too. Oh. And we have the, uh, we have the rights to this drug. So we'll help you out. Oh, I got a good, I got a good one for that. So Purdue Pharma, which makes Oxycontin, and Oxycontin, actually marketed oxycontin as a less addictive opioid when they knew full well that wasn't true they suppressed the research to say that it was a more addicted opioid they marketed it as a less addictive one people started dying left right and center from overdoses which nobody got jailed or got criminal charges they paid like i don't know 700 million dollars in fines which is a penny in the it's a penny for them compared to the amount of profit this drug made them and now they have a patent on a drug that treats opioid addiction. So they got people addicted by saying something wasn't addictive when it was, and they knew full well. Now they have a drug that you can take to wean yourself from an opioid addiction. It is so bonkers. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's so. a classic example. And, I, and I've heard other examples of that. Like, uh, I think one of the ones with, with Viagra, the same company that makes Viagra also makes, I believe... I believe it was statins, but I don't quote me on that. Something that has a side effect of, of erectile dysfunction. <laughs> and then they, the same company has something that for erectile dysfunction. So How convenient. once we look into the, the money, I think 
like it's it's fairly obvious at this point that that money is is the big um, pusher and driver of all this stuff. Uh, but once you see kind of how ingrained it is, it's it still kind of shocks you. And I and like one of the things I noted from one of these um, CDC studies is that the average number of days per prescription continues to increase. Um, and they were talking about your opioids in general, um, up to an average of 18 days, this one study looked at. So it's just like, how can we get people using these things for longer? It's like, how can we maximize the amount of pills that this this one unit, this person has to, to take so we can maximize our profits? So it's just... Well, they even talk about like, some years the flu vaccine is actually very hard to find, right? They talk about that. And it's like, why? Because it's not a high profit margin drug, right? You use it once, it gets you the full season, it protects you against the flu. So drug companies really aren't that interested in making a one and done drug when they can make a drug that someone has to take every day, multiple times a day. Um, those are know, the wonder drugs. Those are the wonder drugs. And if you can get someone hooked on that super early in your life, and then they have to take it for the rest of their lives, that's like, it's like the McDonald's model of targeting kids with sugar in adult form get someone hooked on a drug especially on a drug that they have to take every single day and you have a lifelong profit generator for your company and it's just it's very sad that the regulation of drunk companies isn't so much stricter as it should be right like there should be some sort of consumer protection board that's helping determine whether or not these practices of these big pharmaceutical companies is actually ethical or non-ethical. And it shouldn't be lobbyists that determine that. It shouldn't be politicians. It should be scientists and doctors. Yeah. And it's and it, that's a we big gotta, flaw. We've got to break the societal mindset of, of that, that we need. We don't need... Humans don't need drugs. We've, we, we went for... Some drugs are beneficial. And no, no, but, but I, I'd argue that's a different thing, though. Like, humans can derive benefit from drugs if it's yeah. their choosing to derive benefit from drugs. But we don't need drugs. You're right. So, so people, but people's mindset is the opposite is like, it's like, we need all the, now, now I would also, there's, it's complex because certain drugs can really help you in, in like modern medicine is very good for certain things like, um, you know, uh, there's, there's cancer drugs for aggressive cancer. There's, there's many things that, that treating communicable disease or bacterial diseases, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. But, but this mindset that like the average day-to-day person in in their normal state needs drugs. Like it's just this, something like, like these, these Advil stats, like popping, popping pills every day. It's like, we don't, we don't need that. But we just go too far. Your resting state should be drug, your resting state should be drug fee unless you choose to, like you say, derive some sort of benefit, intrinsic benefit from something. Um, but it's not something that like you should have to take i think that's a big yeah and even these like uh even quote-unquote beneficial drugs like antibiotics if you have some vicious bacterial infection um you have a staph infection yeah you probably should be put on antibiotics to combat that bacteria that's trying to destroy your body but that's even another example of okay you have a common cold they're giving away antibiotics like like candy now as well yeah way too often way too liberally um, because any symptom, a sore throat is all of a sudden like this life-threatening event and <laughs> you give antibiotics to everyone, you create super strains of bacteria that shouldn't be there. And they you have, kill all this, uh, this, uh, and you kill all the good bacteria in your body, which allows you to actually digest food properly and have, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting how liberally people are given drugs, how our perception of drugs is so misinformed, um, like globally, like very few people that I speak to in clinic are actually moderately informed about the drugs they're taking or what a drug does. You know, no one seems to clue into the fact that anti-inflammatories aren't good for knee pain that comes from that's important blowing out your knees because your hips don't work. 
That's important. I think the onus should be on the individual to to decide whether this drug is something that mm-hmm. is is worth taking, um, whether it is a recreational drug. Um, there's a component of if you're putting something in your body, you should maybe be a little bit informed in, in like what it's doing. Mm-hmm. So like whether it is alcohol, coffee, um, Advil, whatever it is, it's like I've decided that this is what I I'm getting what I need from this drug and I'm taking it for this purpose to to help me in this given way. And I'm and I'm OK with that. Right. And, it, and it's up to me to know to know that. And mm-hmm. I think it's like, whereas the opposite is like, you we're being, ownership we're being your told. Machine. Yeah. Whereas now it's like somebody else is telling you to take this and we're being, you, it's like, take this, take the whole dose, take it the whole time. Don't ask questions. Take this drug, take this drug. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, oh, we, we're no longer responsible for what we're taking. We're just being told to take all this stuff. Yeah. We don't even know about it. So, yeah, I think that um and even just talk okay let's briefly talk about pain because that was all about pain drugs and how silly it's gotten in terms of how many people are taking them and how many people are abusing them without even thinking that they're abusing them but if we talk about pain and we we added uh, the whole kind of pain science section to our, our our seminar our tfc seminar because it is important right if someone is coming to you because they have pain or if they if they're having discomfort which is what's you know pushing them to make a change, they have to understand how to interpret that pain, right? It's not something to be completely hidden away because like you said before, the analogy of the engine light goes on in my car, it means there's a problem somewhere in my vehicle. The engine, There's a problem somewhere in the engine. The engine light goes on to say, you need to address this problem before it gets worse and turns into a much bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And the equivalent of how most people deal with that check engine light is take, a, take an Advil or take a Tylenol which is essentially putting a piece of duct tape over your check engine light and thinking you've solved the problem. I think that, again, it's one of those like systemic societal things we have right now where it's... We have a weird... demonize pain. We have a weird relationship with pain as a society. We have a very fucked up relationship with pain because it's something that we've been told that it's it's, pain is scary, pain is fearful, kill it, cover Mm -hmm. it up. And and really, like, pain is there... for you and and it's really like it's so backwards because it's really like the resting state of the human should be pain-free pain should be listened to if you have if you're in physical pain if you're in mental emotional pain you really need to say okay well why am i feeling this way like why am i feeling this pain Mm -hmm. and then you have to discover the reasons the root causes of this Mm -hmm. And, and that's the only really real way to deal with the actual pain because if you just cover it up you're never dealing with those root causes and it sounds like like it, it's harder to is, do. If you don't know why pain is there, I agree that pain is scary, right? If I it didn't can know, be scary, if yeah. my knee hurts and I have no idea why it hurts and it is causing me uneasiness, it's causing me to lose sleep, it's causing, it's causing my quality of life to go down, it's scary. But when you understand why it's there, when you're explained, mm-hmm. okay, uh, this pain is very common. This is why this pain happens. This is a solution for getting rid of this pain. Yeah. Um, it all of a sudden is way less scary. I've had treatment exactly. sessions where I don't even touch someone. I just explain to them what the pain, what is happening with this pain, why it's being caused, and empower them to understand why it's there and how to fix it. And give them exactly. like this internal locus of control that, okay, I feel confident that I can get rid of this pain by just understanding my way out of the problem. And then given given sustainable long-term solutions to to, to deal with this. Because, yeah. But that's exactly it. Because so you just like... And maybe that person you, takes Advil for two days until the pain gets tolerable, but they have to be working on the problem at the same time. Yeah. So you have to figure out... You, it's your due diligence to... Because your body, your physical body is producing this pain. So 
it's up to you to and and again there's plenty of people who can help you with this so i think that's it's it's a it's a big it's it's complex but if if you need guidance to help you through this guidance is what is necessary not not the actual not the drug itself like you say it now the drug becomes something of a of a, a tool. tool yeah and then that tool is is something the tool isn't the solution the tool is something that that can maybe help us um in the short term to to deal with the 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 overall solution is is addressing the root cause and figuring yeah. this out so i think i think that society's weird like pain is something and i think we're just it starts young too like pain is I don't know. Pain is it's something where we're we're so protective of everything these days. We're protective of our kids. Like, mm-hmm. oh no! It, like, did the kid fall? It's like, yeah, he fell. That's okay. Like, it's pain is okay. And then you got remember, pain. The pain is what tells you try not to fall again. <laughs> I literally, yeah, exactly. And I literally am so thankful of playing contact sports. I mean, there's other bad things about contact sports in terms of like brain trauma, but playing competitive hockey like you'd get you'd get hit you'd get uh banged up bruised with you uh rugby it's like the same thing it's like that's not bad it's like yeah you 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 hurt your knee and you get over it it's yeah. like you got a bruise that's fine yeah. um and everyone's got bruises and everyone's running around banged up and that's like it teaches you something about pain and i find that the people who i treat in clinic like the the people with the highest pain t- tolerances are the people who have had histories of um basically their their past relationships with pain has shaped their relation current relationship with pain yes so it's like they've been okay well yeah I've, it's I've a reflection this. of their past experience yeah so I think I think the way we we deal with pain as from a young age is very very important because because like yeah you're less likely to to scurry to the doctor to cover up these these uh the, you know this minor knee injury that that mm-hmm. you have um when you've when you understand what it is and you felt it before and pain itself is not doesn't equate to tissue damage all the time like it's just it's something that it's not gonna it's not gonna kill you and once you tell people that it's like oh because the nervous system plays these weird games on on us yeah. too because it's like your brain person, miss, your brain messes up a lot yeah right like the person with um that bends down to pick up a pencil and their back gives out and they can't even get up and stand a lot of times not all the time but a lot of times that's a small muscle strain in the exact wrong muscle that has so many sensory uh receptors in it that it literally signals to your brain that you just snapped your spinal cord in half and you're not allowed to walk anymore (laughs) that is your brain misfiring and until you prove to it that you don't have a spinal injury your body is going to act like yeah. it has a spinal injury. It's not you interpret it's gonna, it. It's going to inhibit the right muscles from firing. It's going to give you a shit ton of pain. It's going to make you very uncomfortable. And, you know, to crawl to a jar of pills and eat the pills to walk around with, like, not only are you not addressing the problem, but it's actually usually allowing you to make it worse. Exactly. And one of the just one of the final notes on that is like, I don't know if, about you, but one of the things I see in people in the highest amount of pain, specifically guarding pain. So when we're talking about things like um, frozen shoulder or uh, these acute back pains, like I've heard it come up and I almost search for it now. I'm saying, so, okay, trying to find out why are you, why are you in this state right now? And the amount of times I'm starting to hear, uh, I'm scared of the, like scared of movement and scared of the pain and scared. Mm. Basically I say, Oh, you, you nailed it on the head. You're scared of this. Mm. Right. So we got to deal. basically part of it is hacking this fear and showing you that getting your body moving again and, and showing you that it, it's really not that much of a threat mm. showing person this and actually getting them to feel it really goes a long way in helping them get through the pain because it's like, we got to, we got to break this fear associated with pain. And, and it's not the person's fault. Like you say, it's like their nervous system playing tricks on them all mm-hmm. often. But again, but you give them non-drug alternatives that are way more effective. Long-term, they're more effective. Short-term, mm-hmm. they're also more effective. And like the amount of change that you can make in, in someone's life by in one session, one hour with them, 
by just giving them a rundown on pain, what pain is, how to manage it without drugs, how to use drugs in the context of actually getting rid of the root causes pain. Like it's extremely powerful, right? Mm -hmm. you, you see someone when they're 20 and you teach them a little bit about pain, pain for the rest of their life means something different. Their his, their interaction, their relationship with pain has now officially changed exactly. to the point where they understand it a bit better and they're way less likely to abuse pain pills, to abuse NSAIDs, whatever it is. Like that, that's powerful. I think like... In high school, you should learn about pain. Yeah. That's like a very important thing. You're going to have pain for the rest of your life, probably at certain points. Why the hell don't you learn about it to just give it some context so that you're not constantly eating pills like chiclets? Pills are distractions. And and again, if you if you look at pain in the global, in the global scheme, it's just pain can be physical. And that's where we're talking from. Um, but also that the whole emotional, psychological pain. Again, we love distractions for that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling this like deep-seated pain emotionally and it's like okay let's start you know here's some technology <laughs> here's some drugs some here's here's many many things to distract you from the yeah. reasons producing that so all right let's move on so we talked about anti-inflammatories talked about prescription pain meds let's go on to um have a bit of a conversation about three recreational drugs and they're probably not the ones that you would think when we say the word recreational drugs we're going to talk about alcohol we're going to talk about caffeine and we're going to talk about tobacco and um, we're not saying cigarettes, although we're going to talk about it because tobacco is different. We we categorize it as something different than cigarettes because they are very different compounds. It you know tobacco gets demonized when it's really cigarettes that are the problem. So let's start um, let's start with a real good one that is has it's another drug that people don't consider a drug, and it's a drug that's weaselled its way so deep into society um, that if you go we're talking about alcohol, and if you go to a party like. I don't really drink as much. I hardly drink at all. I have some wine or a beer because I like the taste, but I really don't drink to get drunk um, apart from extremely rare occasions. And it's crazy how if you're not drinking, people think something's wrong. You mm -hmm. go you go um, out to a bar and you order water or you order whatever and people are like, oh, you're not drinking? What's, what's wrong? Are you feeling okay? It's like, yeah. It, something doesn't have to be wrong for me to not want to poison myself. Like this is, it's so it's so deeply ingrained. And it's one of those things where if you actually look at the most harmful drug on the planet, um, you know, Dr. David Nutt was, uh, he's a neuropsychopharmacologist or something like that. I think it's, it's some weird big term, but basically he looks at the interaction of drugs with the brain and he's a scientist that calculates the amount of harm that certain drugs do. And in the UK, he did this big study where it was total harm. They based drugs on total harm. So what you know, it was both harm to yourself and harm to others. And they ranked drugs in terms of most harmful to least harmful. And the most harmful, by and large, by a huge margin, was alcohol. And that's one of those prime examples where alcohol is very much legal, yet is the most harmful drug um, in term when you consider all factors around it. So it's one of those things, legal, yet extremely dangerous. And I, I think the perception of alcohol has been shaped by the fact that it's legal. But don't be mistaken. Alcohol can be abused very easily, and it can also be very dangerous. And and again, the opposite end of the token is it can also be used for for a purpose. And and like for me, I think I I found kind of a nice middle ground with my relationship with alcohol. And I, I used to not have a good relationship with alcohol. But but again, it's it's actually when you look at it, um, what the, what studies also show is that they're in in small doses. There there is um. There's many different hormetic effects they can have. So hormetic effects is like it'll stress your system in a certain way to produce positive effects out of mm -hmm. it. It's like working um, out. You, yeah. you tear your muscles to make them bigger. It's not a as you, long as you don't over traumatize them. It's exactly. actually not a bad thing. And you hear that all the time with like, oh, red wine is good for you. Now, 
I would argue just like any drug, it's like, how are you using it? Um, mm-hmm. and, or are you abusing it or are you getting what you want out of it? And what is the reason why you're using it? Mm-hmm. And are you in control of how you're using it? Um, do you like how you're using it? Are you okay? the- well, I think people don't even, a lot of times don't even acknowledge why they're using it, right? If you're, um, if you're in pain or you're, you're like we talked about before, your, your normal day to day life is, um, stressful and you're using alcohol as an escape mechanism, are you acknowledging, like, maybe that's not an unhealthy relationship, but are you at least acknowledging mm-hmm. that that's part of the reason that why you're consuming this drug? And that might be still a healthy relationship with mm-hmm. it. Maybe sure. you have a glass of wine every day and it just helps you physical, physiologically relax a little bit. And maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, and if you're aware of that, you're like, oh, that's great. I'm using this substance for what I intend to use it for. Um, and that's like for me too, it, it just took a lot of exploring to figure out what my relationship was with it. Um, because everyone, you know, back in the university days, it's just like you're, it's just one of the things you just, you just globally abuse. And that's just like what <laughs> yeah, happens. For sure. But then you figure out like, oh, what are, look at all these negative effects. Like I feel depressed for two days after, after I binge drink. And yeah, then it's I like, feel all like I a bag is, of shit for 24 yeah, hours. Yeah. Because I poisoned myself. And that being said, like now I, I actually, I like, I like alcohol in in moderation. I like sipping a a high quality whiskey. I like having a glass of wine with dinner. I like cracking a beer on a hot day. Um, I enjoy having a few beers sometimes. Like it's just, it's good. Uh, And sometimes I do like getting drunk. Like it's just Mm -hmm. something that, but I understand that if I do get drunk, I'm probably not going to feel the best the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I might have some consequences that I might have to deal with. But again, knowing that going into it, will allow me to take full ownership over that mm-hmm. so it's just exactly. something again it's just looking objectively at what it's doing for you or mm-hmm. what it's doing against you and, and and using it for that reason but we can't going back we can't argue against the plethora of negative effects that it has because because <laughs> one of the things that like even in terms of like some of the crazy stats the world health organization um estimated that 3.3 million people uh die of alcohol related deaths uh each year so so these are deaths not so directly related to alcohol so like actually overdosing and and over drinking that's one thing but um when you look at to say that illegal drugs are protecting us from harming ourselves while also letting you walk into a store and legally buy enough of a liquid that you can drink and kill yourself very very easily very easily it's not a buy 60 drink it you're dead um, yeah, it's it's that's a quick way to kill yourself. It, yeah, like so you don't can, don't pretend like you're protecting us by making certain drugs illegal. Because number one, as an adult human being, no, you shouldn't be able to tell me I, a government shouldn't. I don't care who you are, a government shouldn't be able to tell grown adults that they can't do something that is not harming other people. Right? You have it is a right to make mistakes as an adult. That mm-hmm. is how you learn and grow. So to have some big governing body say, nope, you're not allowed to use that because I said so. Um, when there's no harm to anyone else, although I think as we realize with alcohol, a lot of times it does affect other people, but I mean, it's just silly. I think, and that it's funny that you say that because I would say that that is for any substance. I think any human should be able to use any substance they want if they so choose to. I agree. But it's funny how the, the one, like one of the major substances that we say is okay is actually the one that's the most harmful. <laughs> yeah, and and alcohol is like, I don't know, like listeners probably can attest to this, but it's very, it's a very slippery one. Yeah. Like alcohol, you, you really got to watch yourself with because it's like, you know, a couple drinks too many. Like it just becomes this weird thing um, where like, uh, like if we talk, put it in real terms, like death is very, 
if you over drink, you can, you can die or, or, or like, yep. it's just, it's very, the, this dose dependent response is, is very slippery. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to navigate, especially when they're going through these younger years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to gauge, right? You're not given any education about alcohol. So you find out the hard way a lot of times, like high school, I think everyone, um, abuses alcohol quite significantly because there's really no, no one teaches you about alcohol, yeah. right? I think, um, you know, in my family, my parents let me have some alcoholic beverages to a small level and uh, when I was below the age of drinking. But, I mean, you know, we live in Ontario. The drinking age is 19. You travel 20 minutes across a bridge. It's now 18. So people would all go to Quebec to Gatineau and just and get 18 dis- means And 18 means 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 18 <laughs> means 16. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's really like... Why don't you have a, a class in high school that at least touches on alcohol, its effects, the dangers? Like these are simple things that could help so many people um, avoid shitty mistakes. That okay, they're not life threatening. There are some people that you know have to go to the hospital, and it's quite significant. But I mean, it's just it's just basic education. Like educate people about drugs, and and this whole thing about drugs is like the only thing you get told in high school is oh, don't smoke weed. That's your total education in high school about drugs, and it's the biggest load of shit ever. And and the alcohol thing too, it's like there's acute effects, but there's also those these chronic effects over time. Like we see, like just neurological degradation in a lot of heavy drinkers, uh, liver cirrhosis. Mm-hmm. So all these other alcohol attributable diseases that start to pop up over time. So it is real nasty one in terms of long term use, especially if you're you're abusing it. Well, but also if you like, I would say violence is another key. Oh yeah, that's a big one. This is just like the elephant in the room. It's like where is this like violence coming from? And, and in 2013, 2014, um, this one CDC study showed that 53% of violent crime, uh, an estimated 53% of violent crime had uh, alcohol associated with it. <laughs> so, so, that's huge. So, so like all of these like. Um, you know, any anything from fights to assaults to murders, um, just like such a high instance. There was seven hundred and four thousand crimes committed in in the U.S. that year, and and fifty three percent of them had alcohol associated. <laughs> Show me that stuff for weed. I guarantee it doesn't even exist. <laughs> so it's just like well, okay, like we got to look at that part of it too, because yeah, like you start to lose your inhibitions, and there's there's many other besides the physiological effects of it. There's there's harmful effects on other people. There's there's harmful effects on family, or drunk driving, and friends, or the drunk driving, drunk, drunk driving. So one. I think overall, back to the, your initial statement is that I think it's and it well it's actually proven from this Dr. David Nutt. He says this is the most harmful effect of sorry the most harmful drug on society, um, and we can prove it for, from these all these categories that we looked at. And we're not saying it should be illegal, but it just no. illuminates the fact that just because something's legal, it does not mean it's safe or it does not mean that it doesn't have the capacity to be abused just like anything else because alcohol is the most harmful drug out there, right? Mm-hmm. If you actually combine all of the data, all of the facts, take everything in, and it's really, um, yeah, it's just one of those very interesting things that, that makes you think about the legality of drugs and the availability of drugs and, and just drug education in general. Like, people need to be informed about... And, it, like, one of the things that really opened up my eyes, like reading this Matthew Walker book, Why We Sleep, he goes through a section on alcohol, and he talks about how a lot of people will look to alcohol, like this whole nightcap thing where you consume alcohol to, to help you get to sleep. Mm-hmm. He makes a distinction between sleep, which is this um, restful recovery element that's necessary for human beings, and completely separates that from sedation, which is essentially what you get with a lot of sleeping pills. It's what a lot of people are getting when they take alcohol to help them get to sleep. This is not sleep. 
This is very different. It does not give you the benefits of sleep. In fact, it puts you out, but it doesn't give you the same benefits of sleep. And I think a lot of people are using that. And if you look at the effects of long-term effects of, okay, sleep is one of the elements of sleep is to clear your brain of all the gunk and all the byproducts and all the shit that's going around in cerebral spinal fluid. If you don't sleep, you don't cleanse that. And I think, you know, he's talking about there is a link now between some neurological degenerative disorders and the lack of sleep. And mm-hmm. I think alcohol plays a part in that. Not not to mention the fact that alcohol can actually disrupt your brain significantly. Directly, directly but also indirectly, indirectly in terms of reducing your sleep. So it's like a yeah. double whammy. And I think, you know, one of the main reasons I think I get so hungover after you have a big night drinking is equally the fact that you haven't slept. Yeah, for sure. That's a big one. It just runs a train on your system. And, and again... Looking at its harm, like it's what it's the only. I believe it's the only drug that you can die from a um, from withdrawals. So everyone oh, yeah, talks yeah, about yeah. like that opiate is. withdrawals, and opiate withdrawals are, are can be fairly uh, significant and, and harmful. But I believe it's they're, the they're, they're, only drug that you can suck, actually. But you're not going to die. No alcohol, alcohol you, you can actually die. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing you can die from from stopping to drink it once you get attuned to it. Um, wow. And it is the only like one of the only things that's legal. So it's just. Uh, I think we've beat that that horse well enough, but it just we got to look at and and no alcohol should not be illegal. That's another thing. It's like yeah. like that would be the argument. Well, shouldn't we make the most harmful one illegal? Well, no. Like again, leave people up to their devices, educate people on it because you can derive you can just as equally derive some benefit from alcohol, um, but it should be in your control and yeah. up to you and um, if it's used wisely. So yeah, and it's so funny like. You see some ads on TV. You see like ads for Coors Light. It's like a guy surfing on a beach. There's like eight girls in bikinis running up to him with Coors Light. It's just the ads are just so funny how we promote this drug as something that's so like fun and, and culturally ingrained when really it's, it is the gnarliest drug in terms of the global harm that it for creates. Sure. So it's just funny. It's both. Perception. It's like this duality too. It's like, cause alcohol is fun as shit sometimes, but it's like, just know what it does to you. Yep. Um, so we talk alcohol, recreational drug number one, number two, Second recreational drug let's talk about, and we'll probably talk about it pretty quickly, but um, caffeine, mm-hmm. like coffee. What is something that everyone is addicted to? Like, you see it sometimes when you um, go to an airport. I see this all the time. It's like, okay, probably people that are in airports are underslept. Like, if you're traveling, you're not sleeping as well as you would sleep at home. These people are underslept. Um, they're spending a long time sitting, um, and they're the drug of choice is caffeine. Like mm-hmm. the lineup for a Starbucks at most airports is so long that you're like, I don't even want to go get a coffee because it's way too long of a lineup. So you see like those people are not everyone. Obviously a lot of people use caffeine um, appropriately, but a lot of people are addicted to caffeine and they don't see it as a drug, which is the problem. It's like, Oh, you know, the funniest thing is when someone that drinks coffee every day, six cups of coffee, um, chirps you for smoking a joint. It's like, dude, you're addicted to a drug that you consume every single day. Don't shit on my drug. Your drug is no better. Exactly. It's it, we can't play that that game with with just because it's it's doing something different or it's because it's legal or because society accepts it. We can't play that game. And it, and actually, one of the stats is it, it is the most widely consumed psychoactive drug in the world. So, mm. uh, which makes sense. But mm-hmm. just back to that point is, but like it we, is a drug. Let's it is a drug. It, it's a drug. Well, here's a funny example. We had a tornado in Ottawa here uh, about three weeks ago, and. Um, Basically, power was out in the whole city. So I went out, well, actually, probably a good portion of the city. So I went out to get a coffee in the morning, and I found that my go-to coffee spot was closed. So I drove to another <laughs> one. 
And at that other one, there was a lineup physically out the door and down the street. So then I drove to another one, and there was another lineup down the street. <laughs> Everyone wants to. So drive. I was like, okay, screw it. I'm going to wait in this line because I I've, I've drove around to three coffee locations, and then I realized, <laughs> look at me, I'm a junkie, and look at all these people. Everyone's huddled around this coffee shop trying to get in just for that dose of caffeine. Yeah. And literally, people who I talked to after that said they had the exact same stories. They're like. The one thing I noticed is that coffee shops were just were just like I couldn't get a coffee. Everyone's like, "Where was the coffee?" So it's like, "Holy <laughs> fuck, we're we're just we're just addicted to coffee." We are, and, and, and we mean, don't know it. And same thing doesn't mean coffee should be illegal, but no. I think that is one of the drugs that flies under the radar and people are addicted to without even realizing. Number one, that it's a drug. Most people don't think coffee is a drug. Caffeine, the active ingredient in coffee, is a drug and it's extremely addictive, um, and it's very habitual for a lot of people. It's just part of their daily routine. There's nothing wrong with that, but. That Matthew Walker book, again, sheds some light on how crazy it is and its effect on sleep. You know, caffeine has a half-life of seven hours. What a half-life means is in seven hours, half of the caffeine in your system has left your system. Mm -hmm. So seven hours. So you drink a coffee at uh, at 1 o'clock p.m. At 8 p.m., half of that caffeine is still in your system and caffeine will inhibit the ability to get a good sleep because it's a a stimulant, right? Mm -hmm. It, It counteracts the effects of what you want the the state of mind you want to get into when you sleep is this relaxation state is this down regulation state and caffeine does the exact opposite so i think that for me was a big one like i stopped drinking any coffee uh after 12 noon because i realized okay you know i used to think that okay i I could have a coffee around four or five and i'd be okay to sleep and yeah sure i was getting sleep but the quality of my sleep was probably worse because that caffeine is still in my system and it's inhibiting like that deep state of sleep i think it just feeds into this like crazy ADD society we have with technology and it's like go 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 everyone needs to be productive and then it's like wait the biggest cause of death is stress now and it's like but be productive and everyone's just go 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's like and then we just feed yourself with this it keeps you productive so it's just feeding that and then again it's like it's effects on sleep it's effects on your ability to just relax or just be like at a lot of people it's very it's not uncommon to to hear people say like they need their coffee and like I would I would even say like for me I would actually have to choose to say like, okay, I'm going to try to not drink coffee and I'd be able to do it if I so choose. But again, I'm using it for a purpose back to that purpose thing. But a lot of people are just, it's just what you do every day. And I, and again, I fall into that category and it it just some, an interesting point about coffee is that, um, it's, it's origin in, it's actually, it comes from Ethiopia, like 98% of it. But I found it interesting that the, um, the first English coffee house opened in 1650 is this guy called William Harvey. And he was the first guy to introduce coffee, to, <laughs> coffee to, uh, England. So England is really where it became like popularized in the, in the yeah. Western world. Um, but it, it was really, it was used at first as a, as a way to, um, people would would gather around in these coffee shops and they would discuss like intellectual topics and and politics and stuff like that. Hmm. So it was known at first as like an intellectual drug um, for people. And then that concept just spread quickly throughout England and then it throughout the rest of Europe and stuff like that. So hmm. something that came about uh, in terms of just like being, um, being social. Being, and I think that like that's at the root of a lot of what coffee is too, is like, it's, it's still like a, it's a nice social drug too. It's like, Hey, you want to meet for a coffee? Let's mm-hmm. chat. Yeah. Um, you know, meet at a coffee shop. Uh, let's get some work done. So there's really, really good benefits that you can derive from, from caffeine. But again, um, there's two sides of the coin. There's always two sides of the coin. Yeah. Are you using it or are you abusing it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then let, let's not And the whole ignore. definition of whether or not you're abusing it is also very subjective. It's like, yeah. is this, I think abuse or, or being addicted to a drug is this drug is causing you some negative element in your life, whether it's physically or psychologically or socially, yet you continue to use it and find it hard to stop using it despite the negative effects. Most people, like, 
you can get you can use caffeine extremely responsibly. You can mm-hmm. use any drug responsibly. Um, you just have to acknowledge why you're using it, how you're using it, and the effects that it's causing in your life. Because if it's creating a net positive, yeah, that's, it's fine to exactly. use that drug. If it's creating a net negative, yet you're not acknowledging that, and maybe it's not not use the drug. Maybe it's just modify how you're using it. Don't drink mm-hmm. your coffee yet. You know, change was, your relationship with it. <laughs> who was it the other day that at 10 p.m. after we had dinner got a triple espresso and we both looked at each other like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, that was uh, my cousin. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I just. Just grinding, but but again, it's just something. The coffee after dinner thing—it's the same thing. It's just—it's turned into more of a social thing. Yeah. Um, but again, we will uh, we will move on to yeah. another. So third third recreational drug before we finish off and do kind of a little special end section on a um, on a different recreational drug is uh, tobacco, and I think tobacco and cigarettes have to be differentiated because tobacco i think gets demonized you know nicotine is an extremely addictive drug which is uh, that's the active ingredient in tobacco i believe right yeah um and i think you know you want to talk about a nasty something that's super nasty yet everyone uses and people seem to think it's okay to use cigarettes Mm -hmm. why are there is literally more people every year die from cigarettes than died in the Jewish Holocaust. We have a Holocaust every single year. That's crazy. And yet we still continue to sell these insanely dangerous and, and proven to be dangerous um, substances that are really, they're taking the drug of tobacco and they're adding crap to it that makes it more addictive, but also significantly more harmful. So I think differentiating tobacco and cigarettes is important, but that's another prime example. Something being legal does not necessarily mean it's safe or good for you. So if yeah. you know government, if you want to protect us, make cigarettes illegal. Yeah, cigarettes okay? because are... that is that is a drug that I think everyone don't make tobacco illegal, right? If you want to consume tobacco, fine. But how are you letting companies make money from killing people? Yeah, it is that is that is one of the craziest examples I think of how whack the political system is. Is if you want to protect us and and get rid of things that are harmful to us, make cigarettes illegal for sure. And like you say, like tobacco in and of itself like i'll enjoy a cigar sometimes uh, on occasion and you know you get a little buzz from it again social aspect to it mm-hmm. um it's a plant i know a lot of uh, there's a lot of writers who use nicotine in different forms to stimulate their their thought processes and and they derive benefit from it as well from from the nicotine and again nicotine is addictive but it's not necessarily it's not bad there's actually a study showing that it has positive effects in mm-hmm. in uh, certain doses so it's like when used responsibly, when I used think responsibly. that asterisk needs to be added to everything. Exactly. So, do you derive benefit from it? And again, we can talk about combusting uh, tobacco and, and its potential harm in terms of different forms of cancer on the lungs and um, throat cancer and all these other things. There's always these these things that. But I think those things come need along to be tied it. much deeper to cigarettes, to cigarettes. And not tobacco. Because yeah. I don't know if there's you know I don't I don't know the data, but I don't really think there's very much data on. Um, moderate consumption of tobacco and its effects on lung cancer and mouth cancer and all that kind of shit. I think that's significantly more derived from all the additives that they put into cigarettes that shouldn't even be there. Cigarettes is a big player. I mean, they're so. like heavy cigar smokers do have their uh, their uh, side effects in terms of like these these different forms of cancer. But again, it's just it's one of those things. You can you can use it or abuse it. But I think it's just worth to note that that is probably the one where it's like. You know, theoretically, like, what is a cigarette? Like, if a cigarette was just a... Like, theoretically, it's supposed to be just, like, tobacco in mm-hmm. a small rolled... Essentially, a small rolled joint of tobacco. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what a cigarette was initially meant to be. Yeah. But then it became this other thing where these big companies make it and, and all these other chemicals that are added to it. So, like, again, it shouldn't necessarily be illegal, but maybe we should look at, like, why are we 
how are we able to, how are drug companies able to do this and peddle it off to us and, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So how are you allowed to add poisons that we know factually by research are harmful? You're adding them in there to make something more physically addictive for people. Um, you know, like, I think that is really, that's an exception. Like tobacco yeah. as a drug, I don't think should be illegal. Cigarettes no. as a product that adds all this other crap should be illegal. Like it should not, I don't know why those are made. And like, clearly, like in Canada, we see it. There's really not a lot of people that smoke anymore. And when you do see someone that smokes, it like hits you in the face. Like when you have a patient that comes in and smokes, um, it's pretty shocking. Mm. You smell it immediately. You realize that that is probably like tip of the iceberg example of this person's lifestyle and how unhealthy it is. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I won't say that they're, they're, they're hard to quit. They're hard. It's hard. It is hard to stop consuming something so addictive. Um, but a lot of people are doing it now and, you know, a lot of people are getting off that substance, weaning off that substance. You know, if you're, if you switch from cigarettes to cannabis, it is a much healthier thing. I'm not saying Mm. it's like switching one drug for the other, but, um, but I think we just need to acknowledge that, okay, just because something's, it, it, it brings it back to the same point. Something that's legal is not necessarily safe or, or good. Um, and I think that perception, it becomes a really slippery slope where it's like, okay, illegal, bad for us, legal, good for us. I think, you know, just talking about cigarettes and especially talking about alcohol, we know that that's not, that's not the case. No, exactly. Um, so just take a second look and evaluate a drug independently instead of just, you know, using the perception that's been created by society, because a lot of times that's guided by money more than it is by truth. Um, money and government and, and different different things. Like the alcohol was a weird one too. Like we decided um, there was a period of time, 14 years in the United States where they had the alcohol prohibition. Mm-hmm. So people were like, people were like, what the fuck? Like, why can't I drink now? Like you made a rule that I, I could drink yesterday, but now I can't. So then people were basically, it just created more illegal business because mm-hmm. Canada would ship over alcohol um, to the States and there's a huge underground economy. Well, they, had that the most speaki- they had the most establishments that you could drink alcohol in during prohibition. Prohibition does not work. You no, can't exactly. stop people from doing something um, that they have by their own free will they can do. And, and all you do happened. is escalate crime. We see what happened. So it was 14 years and in 1932 they, they made the opposite. They said, okay, well now you can drink again. Yeah. So again, it's just this weird thing. Oh, now you can't, now you can. Um, people are still drinking. We're just now having to break the law to drink. So mm-hmm. so it's like, what are we trying to do here? Yeah. So Evaluate like why are laws made why why is a decision made that something is now illegal what is the basis for that for that information for that decision Mm -hmm. um and that brings us to kind of the last section of this where we'll do um kind of spend a little bit of time talking about a third or um, a fourth rather recreational drug that on this very day october 17th in canada um has just been legalized countrywide which is a very that's a big step um and i think it's I think it's a good step because you want to talk about a drug <clears throat> that has a low, low capacity for harm. How about a drug that's never, ever been recorded to kill anyone, no matter how much you consume? That seems like it should be a false stat. Like when you say more, more people have died by getting stung by bees than have died because of cannabis. More people have died by consuming Advil, Tylenol, vitamin C, because no one's died from cannabis. There's literally no dose. And I think it's one of the drugs that the most propaganda has been put out about it because... Because of its history um, and it being, you know, its sister plant, hemp being a threat to the cotton industry is what got weed illegal in the first place. And then let's let's dive into that a bit. Yeah. So, so I mean, cannabis has been around for a long time. So they basically attribute it to this this Middle Eastern tribe in the called the Scythians. 
And that's who really has been a part of their culture to to actually throw hemp seeds on these these burning coals and ingest the the fumes basically. Hmm. But that's how it spread kind of all throughout this um, Middle Eastern area, India area, and it kind of went out through there. Um, it really only came. Like you say, its properties range from like, everyone's always known the psychoactive effects, but for a big period of time, it's actually used for as a, as a fiber. So for building materials, building rope and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, hemp is a miracle fiber. It's, it's way better than so many of the materials we use today. No, exactly. And that, that was the biggest threat that created this, kind of got the ball rolling. That's were, how it came over to the States because yeah. what they found is that in Europe, it, it didn't grow well in, in all some of these other places for like large scale use of it so mm -hmm. that's where they found that in the states it actually grew fairly well so there's a long history they actually said that george washington uh had an ex like was one of the it was a huge uh hemp grower and he was like massive in that industry before it became mm -hmm. uh illegal well the declaration but, of independence was actually written on hemp paper exactly like yeah. it was a good it was a good material to make paper out of in textiles and fabrics so th so yeah like there's a long it has many many different uses and then i think Basically, in the 1920s, it started to become more condemned, and there's there's political reasons and things like that. And they found out a lot of like uh, immigrant workers and stuff like that were using this drug, and then that's where the smear campaign came about. Mm -hmm. So these like this this crazy smear campaign on on weed, um, saying that it was. The funniest part of it is they say, they said that it, it causes violence and violent crime, <laughs> and a lot of people thought it we like, but it's literally nothing further from the truth. It's literally like we've already explored what alcohol causes, and it's the biggest leading factor yeah. in violent crime. So, anyways, it just got like thrown under the bus. But in in the eighteen hundreds is actually where they started looking at it. Um, there was a few doctors. One was W. B. O'Shaughnessy, uh, <laughs> University of Calcutta, and he started really experimenting on it. Um, for its use for pain, headaches, anticonvulsant, uh, and appetite. So, so he started using this with his patients, and he started studying it clinically, and he wrote multiple, multiple papers on it. Um, independently, there was other doctors using it in England. Um, and actually, one of the funniest things was Sir John Russell Reynolds. He, is the, he was the president of the Royal College of Physicians, um, and he was also a physician to the Queen in England. Didn't she uh, take it for menstrual cramps? He, yeah, he, he used it to help treat um, treat her, and he also used it in his uh, in his practice with other patients for neurological disorders and stuff like that. Wow. So so basically, from a medical standpoint, concurrently, it's also been used until it's basically the 1970s in the states is when they officially put a stamp on it and said it has no medical uses at all. They said this this drug has nothing. So Ben, basically, what happened is the the medical field had to follow suit and, and then yeah. so it shut down all research on it everything was shut down saying there's officially no medical uses for this anymore and the nixon administration actually went around to all the major schools like all the major high prestigious education schools and said you need to get rid of you need to purge all of your data about cannabis being effective in terms of medical treating medical conditions so like that i think is the biggest um disappointment that that you can see in the realm of drugs of anything because literally they not only did they, did they delete and, and get rid of a lot of this very useful data, they they killed, they, they created a blackout zone where there could have been so much progress in terms of research being done on the use of cannabis that we're catching up on now, but it's so far, we're probably like, it's just like psychedelics, we're probably 20, 25 years behind where we should be in terms of how much we know about this drug in terms of its purpose for things like epilepsy, for things like um, cancer, for things, whatever, whatever category you want, like some of the really, really smart scientists in the world are saying this is 
literally a miracle drug in terms of the vast amount of things it can be used for as a treatment mm-hmm. um, in terms of its low level of harm. Like we said, you can't even die by consuming too much of this. You yeah, know, and, I think, and I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding all these different um, compounds that you can find, all these different cannabidiol compounds, different ones that are found in cannabis because we just don't have, we don't have the research yet because the research got shut down for no reason exactly. for monetary, financial, and political reasons, which is super disappointing. And I think that exactly it's it. Now the its uses as a medical drug. I think we also the the research is what's needed, and uh, but we can't discount things that can be that it can benefit. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's an, like one on the spectrum is people saying like it's you know it, it can replace everything, but it's like that's a little extreme as well. It's yeah, like it can't it's replace like, everything. It's like okay, here's this substance. We just need to look at it objectively and say what is it? Where is its potential harms? Where is its potential benefits? Just mm-hmm. like anything else, um, and how can it be used? But how can it maybe replace some of these other drugs that might have a, a higher cost uh, to benefit ratio, mm-hmm. um, such as the opioids? So I know that like well, there was a research paper in our pain class. We uh, I can't remember the specifics of it, but it basically said that when someone consumed cannabis as they were weaning off opioids, they were significantly more effective at getting off them quicker and with less side effect symptoms of the withdrawal. They that's s- powerful. Yeah. But and that's th- also a direct threat to pharmaceutical companies, which is part of the reason why so much of this is has uh, just been killed in the media. And people's perception of cannabis is so is so deeply ingrained to be negative that it's almost it's very hard to break it. You almost seem like you're like a cannabis evangelist when you're just trying to give people the facts so that they can make good decisions. Exactly. It's, it's really, it's sad. It's funny that you said like weaning people off certain drugs. Um, this same guy in uh, 1839, W.B. O'Shaughnessy, he would actually use it very, very commonly to get people off of uh, addictions to alcohol. Wow. So it, it's funny how that <laughs> works because you're using this substance. It's like, oh, here's a little replacement. Or, and I think like even from personal experience, um, it had it, it had helped me in the past just like it's something that that you can because if we're talking we've been talking about it from a medical standpoint um the other side of the coin is from a recreational standpoint and mm. i think it's it has some very beneficial uses for that too um, I agree. movement yeah. movement awareness i think is a big one that mm. you know we both didn't really you know in high school uh we both didn't go anywhere near weed because like my perception of it was that people that really didn't people that had low motivation or really low ambition to actually um do something you know education wise or whatever it was those were the people that gravitated towards cannabis so i associated cannabis with people with low drive or low motivation so i was like well i don't want to be part of that i don't i don't need it i don't want it um i still drank a lot and that destroyed me sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, and then same thing in university undergrad. And I think we share the same story and it wasn't until physio school that we really realized that, wait a minute, you can take a drug that lets you get out of your standard state of mind. Um, and yet the next day you can feel perfect Mm -hmm. and there's really no consequences. This doesn't paralyze my brain. This doesn't make me fall on my face. This doesn't give me a 24 hour hangover. This is crazy. How are we so misinformed? No, exactly. Like I was almost bitter that, that it was so like, one, I don't think kids should consume any drug in high school, right? Like your developing brain probably shouldn't be exposed to alcohol, probably shouldn't be exposed to most drugs. Um, so I don't think kids should consume cannabis. But I really think that the education piece of comparing drug to drug on an objective way without this background bias of what the big media is telling you is, is just not there. People don't know. I didn't know. And the funny, I think it has really, and, and this might seem controversial, but I think it has many... Um, 
psychological benefits um, in terms of like and mental health and psychological benefits. Now, now that might seem controversial, and I wouldn't recommend. And that the studies show you, it doesn't mix well with somebody already prone to if mental, you have illness. mental illness tendencies. You probably shouldn't consume tennis. exactly. But I'm talking about baseline. Um, Basically, what it what it does for me is it, it makes it makes me more introspective, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have this fear of introspection, and a lot of people think like you know what that is anxiety <laughs> exactly <laughs> tripping people, out like the, the people that say oh I get I don't I don't use cannabis because I get too anxious, and immediately what, what in my brain what I think is okay two things one this person probably consumed too much so they didn't dose it right and they had a negative experience and two. This person probably already has a baseline of anxiety that cannabis forced them to realize they had, and it scared them. It's it's very exactly it, it forces you to just look look inside the mind a little bit. Look look what's going on inside your consciousness, and and it's just that is very important. It's like we're constantly being distracted from other things, and it's like when you're forced to actually look in, in your, inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big thing is people don't and acknowledge people your want, shit. People want things that actually do the opposite. Like I think that's what, part of the reason why like alcohol, alcohol is so popular. Yeah. It's like we're gonna do the opposite. We're gonna numb everything. All of these 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 things. We're just we'll put them to the side for for the for this uh, short period of time, and we're yeah. gonna we're gonna make you have a good time. Whereas whereas sometimes. Um, Cannabis can do the opposite. It's like, oh, bang in your face. This is something that's been, you know, that's that's on your mind. And let's mm-hmm. look deeper into this. And or yeah. why is that making me feel uncomfortable? And and all yeah. of these things. And it's so it, that's kind of that's where it can be used for a purpose in the right context, the right dose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're educated on it for 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 good for a good scenario. And now and then there's other like even recreationally, I find too like with friends like you're gonna have some of the best laughs you've ever had when, <laughs> yeah. when symptoms you're... of cannabis you get hungry you laugh uncontrollably um you don't get a hangover like it's, it's, there's there's a long list of things that really have very little negatives and yet this drug is demonized so hardcore changing now which is why this is such a big moment in canadian history it's like the day that a drug that should never like how can a government tell you as a grown man that you're not allowed to do something that's not harming anyone else What's the motivation behind this? Like, at least give me some semblance of logic as to why you're telling me that. Um, it's not to protect me because I, I literally can't consume enough of this to kill myself. Mm-hmm. It's not to protect others. I don't get violent when I smoke cannabis. Like, why? What? What is... I, I really think, like, sometimes I get confused as to how this was so socially accepted that cannabis being illegal not only creates a black market and feeds into... One, it takes away a huge amount of tax revenue. Like, Canada grows a lot of cannabis. Right, whether it's exported or used domestically, I think there's a stat that the most the per capita use of cannabis is highest in Canada or mm-hmm. something like that. There's some crazy stat like that that makes you think like, wow, Canadians smoke a good amount of cannabis. Um, but how is something illegal when making it illegal is one a huge disservice to generating revenue for a country's government? Number two. It actually does no harm, and number three, it has a lot of benefits. So why the hell is this legal? And again, it, it can do harm if if used. I think it just the the cost, like if you look at it on a relative scale, the harm level is very very low compared to many other things. For sure. But again, you can abuse it very very easily too. Like we all know the the people who just you know wake up and smoke, and like you don't want to be reliant on it and, and and again it's something that like if you're using it it's just again beating the na- beating the uh the hammer on this but it's just are you using it for the right purposes and are you yeah. getting more positive than negative because you can overdo it just like anything else but the fact but that using that using that to make it illegal it's like okay i remember on uh i think it was a culture high 
or maybe the union. Anyway, Joe Rogan makes an analogy. He says, you know what? You can take a hammer, which is a tool, and you can either hammer some nails and build a house, which is productive, or you can take the hammer and smash your foot to pieces. I think he says smash yourself in the dick. But anyway, <laughs> harm yourself with it. It doesn't mean we make hammers illegal. It means no. that people have to be educated on how to use hammers. Um, and I think, you know, cannabis is something with such a low ability to abuse compared to alcohol. Like we said, if you stop using alcohol and you're addicted to it, you can literally die. You can go in and kill yourself by going into a store and buying legally uh, a bottle of alcohol. So, and the other end of the token is it doesn't match up. In my opinion, the the potential positive effects that you can derive from that are, Mm -hmm. are exponential compared to a lot of these other drugs. So like I, I talked about my relationship with alcohol and it's like, I do like alcohol, but I would say that, Cannabis has so much more to offer in terms of other things that people people think, oh, you're doing drugs. But it's like, in terms of creativity, lateral mm-hmm. thinking, mm-hmm. Um, its implications with movement, with relaxation, with with having better laughs with friends socially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the fact that it doesn't you, you, it doesn't make you feel like shit the next day. Like, there's so many of these things that it's like. Like, I just wish like before. It's like, wow, why do we have to like hide around and sneak around with this? It's like. Mm. It, this is this is ridiculous. So, I think this it can offer people. And it, the like thing if you, is, if, if you, you compare them, alcohol is a fairly boring drug. I'll admit, I consume it. I I think sometimes it can be enjoyable, but in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the package of symptoms or package of effects that you get from a drug, alcohol is extremely boring. Mm-hmm. Cannabis, I find extremely exciting for the exact reasons you just said. Yeah, introspection, body awareness enjoyment like creativity creativity it just goes through the things. roof lateral thinking you sorry th- what were you saying i interrupted you there no that's that's it like it's just it's unfortunate because just because just because it's illegal now now no one's really able to explore the potential good effects that, uh, that you can derive from it mm-hmm. now it's just just blanket statement demonized so it's like that's over there we can't even discuss it um, if you're going to do it, you have to do it on your own. You can't even discuss it with friends and family oftentimes. Yeah. I mean, that's changing now, but you can't discuss it openly. Um, you're almost thought of as as somewhat, um, it, it, you're looked down upon if you do discuss it with people. Oh, he's talking about weed. Like, so you, then you almost you... don't discuss it anymore yeah. um, until now. It's like, it's just nice that it's just the veil is lifted off of it. And it's yeah. like, okay, people, like... Now we can have a conversation. Here's, here's, the, here's the facts. If you don't feel like you... Like give it a give it a try. Um, if you don't want to give it a try, that's fine. Do but just inform yourself about how to give it a try too, because I think exactly you know without going too too deep into this, how people people don't understand the mechanism of action between the difference of smoking cannabis and ingesting cannabis. They're two different chemicals. They have significantly different effects. Ingesting cannabis is five times more powerful. Has a delayed onset in terms of when you start to feel it. So it's, that is an easy one to misdose if you're if you're poorly informed, right? Just taking a brownie, like some of these gummy bears that you can buy now are are literally nukes. Like if you eat the whole gummy bear, you're having an interplanetary experience and that that feeds into the negativity because someone ate it and was like, I didn't like it. It was a bad sensation. It's not for me. It's like, well... And it's psychoactive properties too. Like it is... Whenever you take a, a different substance like a, a drug like i remember the first time taking alcohol like oftentimes people overdo it the first time with alcohol mm-hmm. now the consequences with alcohol are more i would argue more like physical um in terms of their consequences so it's like oh shit like the first time i drank i ended up like puking all over the floor and that was my experience with with alcohol the first time mm-hmm. um or the second time or whatever it was when i when i didn't know what i was doing uh, for a lot of people my first experience with cannabis i it's instead of physical it's more psychological i Mm -hmm. would argue and and then it's like 
but it's just the same and you can apply it in a different scenario. It's like, oh, it made me think this way. It kind of made me feel my body a bit more, but it also made my thoughts go a little different. And it's just, it's just something like I'm not used to this feeling. This is different. So it can lead to this like anxiety and this freaking out. And people can really over, I'd say the first time or two, people can really overdo it. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen it happen with some of our friends and it's like, um, well, that's my, not a good, ex- but then, but that's not what you base the experience on. Cause you don't base the experience on you when you're, when you're 16 and you, and you drank a, a Mickey of liquor and you puked all over the floor. I don't say, Hey, I'm never going to drink again because it makes me puke all over the floor every time I drink it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's not good. So it's like, you just need to really be aware and educate yourself and, and, and dose it, cor- dose it correctly. Like literally like that people fuck up all the time. Dose it correctly. Well, the, my, <laughs> my favorite is that, uh, that video um of or uh yeah the video on youtube and you can look this up of those two cops okay two cops confiscate cannabis from some teenagers they go home they make brownies they call the cops on themselves and say time is going by so slowly i think i'm dying it's like no the next day they were fine they owed they took too much cannabis (laughs) and the cops called the cops on themselves it's like but but that person was fine the next day like they didn't they weren't physically ill they didn't harm their body they didn't poison their brain they just they consumed too much cannabis and so i think um you know like I think two things to talk about. I want, I'll give a quick story about my grandma first because I think it's very interesting. Um, but two things we should talk about, touch on before we finish up this podcast. Number one, the effect of cannabis on uh, body awareness when it comes to movement and also the effect of cannabis on pain because I think it, it has a very unique mechanism uh, with both of those things. But just before that, you know, talking about edibles, um, my grandmother was in the hospital. She had um, she had like a... a she had a terminal illness. She only had a, a, a couple more weeks and she wasn't eating and that was making her so lethargic that she couldn't interact with people. And these doctors were giving her all these drugs and they were feeding her um, TPU like she couldn't even consume food. She had no appetite. So I, I went up to her. I, I spoke to my mom. My mom was a pharmacist and she has this kind of preconceived notion that she doesn't see cannabis as a bad thing, but she doesn't entertain it as like a, a, a drug to be respected. Um, and so I went in there and I, I had uh, a piece of a brownie. And so I went up to my grandmother and I said, this is um, this is a cannabis brownie, okay? I'm giving you a small piece because this is a legitimate uh, drug that can help improve your appetite. And she hadn't eaten for a week. She was being fed um, like through a tube. She ate that within 45 minutes. She was crushing pudding like there was no tomorrow. Like it was, it was very interesting. Like oh, there's no, there's like... There's no negative drug interactions that could have come. It was an extremely small dose. I took a piece with her. I kind of coached her through it in terms of what she was feeling. <laughs> and it worked. And she started eating. And my, my mom was like amazed. And that's just, that's only one example. Obviously, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do for everyone. But it's just an example of using something very non-traditional. None of the doctors at that hospital would have even entertained the idea of giving her cannabis. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, when used appropriately, it can be extremely effective. And And I think... Not that the doctor should have given that to her, but the fact that they weren't even open to something that can be extremely effective at improving her appetite so that the end of her life can be enjoyable because she can actually interact with people because she has energy, that's extremely powerful. Like, mm. like that made that week much better or that day much better. And the fact that doctors aren't even entertaining it shows that, okay, maybe just take an objective look. Treat it fairly like any other drug. Don't I'm not saying play preference to it, but at least look at it as an equal in terms of the potential it has to help people in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so cannabis for movement, cannabis for pain. Let's talk about that because I think it's super powerful. Like, I would be very interested in, in legitimate research done on people post-surgery to use cannabis instead of opioids. Why? Because it has a significantly lesser harmful potential effect on the body. 
Um, but two, I think the most powerful thing is that cannabis does not eliminate your pain. Mm-mm. And we talked about before, like pain is a useful signal. It's there for a reason. You need to use it instead of just cover it up. It doesn't cover up your pain. It still lets it be there. It makes you aware of it, but it makes it tolerable. So you're mm-hmm. not in excruciating pain, but you know the pain is there. And that's good because now you have a signal that you're still supposed to be doing something to address that pain, but it's tolerable enough that you can have you can have a good quality of life. It almost puts you at ease with the pain. Yeah, like it, it just makes you acknowledge it. It makes you more aware of how your machine is operating. It makes you like I get these if I have back pain or if I consume cannabis and I have this like little back niggle from deadlifting or something like that, it makes me acknowledge it. I literally walk over to a ball and roll out my paraspinals or move my spine around or do the spinal wave. Like it makes me want to troubleshoot whatever problem is there and it makes me more aware of my machine so that i can be better at doing that yeah or the way oh when i move this way it it causes this like it's really like interoception that that i think it's it works well with um meaning like your internal sense of what's going on within the body yeah so like it enhances that it enhances that because like even a lot of people will say like oh i can feel my my heart beating and it's Mm -hmm. like oh my heart's beating like that's that's the thing is that like it'll show you oh here's what's going on in my body brings it up to the surface mm-hmm. so then you can actually be like oh okay well we can we can deal with that now because here's what's going on but it's uh, the same thing with fear it's like if you feel your heartbeat and you attach a negative connotation to that your your heartbeat goes up you're like okay i'm getting yeah. anxious but if you're like i feel my heartbeat because this drug just made me war- more aware of my body that's exactly. really cool then you can deal then with it's it. a good thing that's one of my favorite things with it it's like if you sometimes you'll you'll consume some and and it'll be like I, I instantly after like once it kicks in it's like oh my god i i feel ang-, but then you're aware of that you feel anxious but then it, and i'm not breathing well and then it's like slow down take a few deep breaths and that's what allows you to get through it it's not that the cannabis was making you anxious it's that it's bringing up these sensations that were already present in your body exactly and then you can actually go about addressing them yeah. whereas if i just went in through the daily routine grinding through i would have just burnt you know burnt the well, candle you might feel that anxiety but you not might not have the i wasn't the aware of all to like actually look at it address it acknowledge it and then fi- figure out a plan right like exactly it's funny like you can almost use sometimes i use cannabis as like a um anxiety training um drug right mm-hmm. so if you go in a public setting and you smoke cannabis, you go in a restaurant or a big public setting or a party, and you get anxious, you're like, okay, why am I anxious right now? This is a fun setting. Nothing bad is happening. Oh, I'm anxious because I care that other people have a negative perception of me. I think that other people are looking at me like I'm weird or I'm just a certain way. It's like, that's not relevant. Those people, one, those people mm-hmm. aren't actually looking at me. Number two, I shouldn't actually care what other people think about me. Why am I making my mood negative because of thinking of what other people might think of me? And then you're like, oh, nothing's wrong this is good take a deep breath all good you know and you might not have acknowledged that otherwise but you might have felt like sub-threshold anxiety that's back there but you it's not strong enough for you to even acknowledge it and now you've been forced to acknowledge it and you've dealt with it and you're like that's not an issue so exactly it brings it to light so then you can take the appropriate steps to address it yeah um, as opposed to just saying oh it brings it to light let's not do it but but the other thing like if you equated that back to alcohol again you know walk into a public walk place yeah, walking into a public place drunk it's like you don't even know who the fuck's in the place like you're just <laughs> you can true. just walk you don't care you don't care about anything because yeah. and and then it's the exact opposite for yeah. for cannabis it's, it's like you're, you. you're hyper aware of what's yeah. going on in, in your in your setting but that's a good thing because then it's like oh it, it you know we're okay here it's like yeah. who cares about this so i i think you're right it just it overall <laughs> it's funny because when the the biggest complaint is that oh it'll you know it'll increase my anxiety but it actually in the grand scheme of things, it's it's a very helpful 
anti-anxiety tool if mm-hmm. used appropriately. If used appropriately. That's a big hashtag because, like I said, and none of this, so many people eat way too much of it, go yeah. off to a different planet, have a terrible experience. It's like, well, it wasn't cannabis that did that. It's the amount that you consumed that did that and put you over the threshold of comfortable a comfortable stream. It's like if you get beyond a certain level, it's too hard. You're so distracted by how anxious you are that you can't even acknowledge why the anxiety is there. It's, just, you're, it's too much. Um, and I think a lot of people have a tendency of doing that. They don't understand the potency of some of these edibles. They don't understand how to dose it. Um, and just, we're not like... Lack of understanding, really. We're not telling you people to do anything we're, we're just coming from our own experiences yeah. like we're not giving medical advice we're not giving anything yeah these are just we're stories. literally just telling stories and we're, we're telling them openly now because it just so happens that that this that cannabis is is now legal in in canada so it's like yeah. now it's just like a, like we say a breath of fresh air we can actually discuss these things yeah um and we can discuss them with our family we discuss them with and it'll probably take a little bit of time before the perception changes on it mm-hmm. it's not going to be like boom uh but I think that over time, people will be like, oh, I think people not... will be nicer to each other. Oh, for, for one, sure. I you think go to a bar, be... you go downtown Ottawa, you're going to see fights left, right, and center of students that are so hammered, they don't even know which hand is their left, which hand is their right. I'm not saying everyone should smoke weed now, but I think if that person smoked cannabis, I don't think they'd be getting as many fights. It's no. just a prediction, but I, I think <laughs> I think the data <laughs> think is on my side. I think that's a good prediction right there. So anyway, that wraps up our... Um, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast on drugs. We talked about a few different classes of drugs. Um, you know, we're not here to convince you to smoke cannabis, but all we want to do is make sure people have all the information at hand that's accurate instead of being colored by uh, media or, or, or what big money wants you to think. Have an objective view of treating drugs on a level playing field. Coffee is a drug. Alcohol is a drug. Um pain drugs are hugely abused and that abuse isn't really acknowledged. So hopefully this gives you kind of a new um, perspective, I guess, on um, on drugs and what a drug means and what a drug can be used for in terms of positive negatives. Um, and I think just take it onto yourself to decide whether you're deriving benefits yep. or harm from any given substance that you take. Yep. Um, that spans even beyond drugs. But I mean, if we're talking about drugs, just, just educate yourself, use it with a purpose, um and just and i think that don't be so quick to shed criticism on one substance and not another substance just for because of that's the way it is just look a little bit deeper it comes back to just critical thinking about certain things be objective um and and just figure explore a little bit and figure out it's not bad like drugs are not bad um it's just just you you just got to figure out for yourself um how you interact with them and and do your due diligence and be safe and and uh educate yourself so yeah anyway we'll catch you next week thanks for listening bye